thing I've been thinking about is like, should we do it over bed? Oh, not today. <laughs> you should have to give me warning so I can look nice. You don't have to look nice for me. <laughs> I have to look nice always, Sammy. <laughs> well, that's fair. But I'm sure you do look nice always. Oh, well, that's very sweet. But <laughs> I feel like the and this is just a little, this is my little relatable uh, epiphany. For all the listeners out there. Um, <laughs> at least for me, because I've had to have so many Zoom calls recently, and especially in my classes. Yeah. Having to look, because, like, you're always, your box is always centered, and almost all of my teachers, if you turned off video, would, like, single you out and be like, Ugh. why is your video off? Um, That's so unfair. And then you'd have to be like, oh, my wife is bad. You're still attending. <laughs> I mean, my plan... What do they want? My plan generally was to not attend, to be fair. But... <laughs> You're being good. You are attending. What I notice is that it's like, at least for me, I don't think this is a narcissism thing. Um, like, I couldn't not look at my, my screen, like, my face, and it was making me insane. <laughs> <laughs> It was making me crazy because I was just like, because you don't watch yourself talk to people normally mm. and or watch yourself in class. So I was mm. like constantly watching, like, if I look over this way, like my lazy eye pops in, if what? I look like, or I'll be like, wow, my jaw looks uneven from this angle. I think or you're just, judging like, yourself too harshly. Well, no, not even like judgment, but it was just like... I don't know, it's just, it's just weird, because you're not supposed to watch yourself while you actively do things, you know? No, there must be some kind of, like, philosophy about that. Um, because sometimes but maybe there, is, like... there isn't, <laughs> because it's a new thing. Well, because sometimes I was just like, wow, I look very nice when I'm talking smart things, and then sometimes it's not, but then sometimes it's just like, I'm like, oh my god, I'm very self-centered, because I'm not looking at anybody else. No. No. Don't call yourself self-centered. I'm not. Well, I wouldn't mind if I was a little bit. I think that's. We're all allowed uh, to be. But that's my <laughs> that's my epiphany. I feel like somebody could. I feel like that's the kind of thing somebody could write an interesting like essay mm. about. You know. Yeah. Anybody? Definitely a philosophy person. Not like, I. Noam Chomsky. Think. <laughs> <laughs> um. So that's my like. Ep- Relatable epiphany of the week. Freddy's epiphany. <laughs> Freddy's epiphany. If we're gonna have <laughs> segments, <I'm> a, <laughs> seg- well, not a segments, but I was saying if we have, if we're present on social media, as I assume we will be when this is, yeah, when we get listen to, the third one. to, um, let me know if you feel the same way through whatever means of contact information you found this through. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I I did have like a Zoom call this morning and I did dress up for it a little bit, but I've not gone nuts. Did you? I'm just wearing a nice shirt. How's your week been? How's your two weeks been? It's been good. It was nice. Like it took me a while to edit the first one because you know, like I wasn't in the the right sort of frame of mind for a little while, and then I kind of picked it up as I was doing it. And there was a time where I thought it would just disappear and die because 
Premiere is like that and it will spring that kind of thing on you. And yes, I am editing on Premiere because it's what I'm using. <laughs> but that was a nice process to learn that and I feel like this one's going to be quite easy. This one will be quite easy? Oh yeah, because you've already, now you've gotten the hang of it. Yeah, I have a flow now and I know what to do. So that's good. Other than that, I've been playing way more D&D recently. <laughs> <laughs> is the lines between fantasy and reality starting to blur for you, Sammy? Are you about to become a LARPer? They were already blurred. They were yeah, already but I'm saying, like, are you dangerously close to LARPing? I'm always dangerously close to LARPing. <laughs> more so than more so than usual. I wouldn't say more so than usual because I can't leave my house. But I mean, like, I mean, like, you when you leave your house. You feel like you'll be ready. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> we did, like, discuss on one of them, we did discuss, like, meeting up and doing, like, character cosplays, and I was really, really into it. And I'm still into the idea. I'm pretty sure that is the LARP. I guess it's not LARPing if you're not, like, doing a voice while you're hanging out. While you're hanging out. <laughs> so then you're LARPing, I think. Of course I would be doing a voice. Yeah, I would LARP. I'm not ashamed to say that I would LARP. <laughs> I mean it just seems fun it's like the perfect combination of acting and being stupid yes <laughs> well I've officially run out of wine so that's very sad I wish I had wine I have to welcome the listeners in we do and do my little well, intro do we have to introduce ourselves again don't sound so really like about that because <laughs> i didn't mean to my voice just sounds like that i guess <laughs> it's it's what we have it's, to do as pod people what do you have to do <laughs> we're pod people now i'm probably gonna cut out all of our conversation but i think it's i it's it's we should leave a little bit in because i feel like it's kind of like i don't know it's, it gets people comfortable. Want it, like you're our friends mm, yes we're, like we're people's cool friends now. It's like you're hanging out with us at a... I, for some reason, really want to say an Italian restaurant. Yeah, um, or a Greek restaurant. That, I No, I really picture us being sitting in, like, the back of, like, an Italian restaurant at, like, that's empty mm. at, like, three... And the checkered, checkered red and white checkered tablecloth. Mm. And there's a little pasta sauce. What are you eating? And we're not eating anything. No. Because we're doing business. We're recording our podcast. Okay. So it's like the Irishman. <laughs> but with a podcast. The podcast A man. movie I definitely saw. <laughs> have you not seen the Irishman? I have not. <laughs> you got the perfect opportunity to watch the Irishman now. That's true. And now it's perfect. Now I enjoy how long it is. I will say, it is an enjoyable movie. I believe that. I mean... It's Scorsese. Scorchese. Scorchese. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't... <laughs> I'm not in it for him, though. I'm in it for... The men. The, the men. All the men. There are a lot of the men in it. <laughs> Okay, do your thing. I interrupted you doing your introduction. Okay. A beautiful word picture. <laughs> I love your word picture of us in an Italian restaurant. So, 
Hello listeners, welcome and possibly welcome back to Obscure Film Presents the 70s. I'm Sammy and I'm here with my, I'm just gonna say co-host at this point, Freddie. Hello Freddie! Hello! For, um, <laughs> I need <laughs> disclaimer to listeners, because I forgot to say in the first episode, Freddie is a nickname. So if you're listening to this and you know that my name and you're listening and you're like, that's not Freddie, that's Emma, you're still correct, the same person. So nice, they named you twice. Yes, even though I would And by they, I mean you. <laughs> me, yes, I named myself both times. <laughs> Is that not how babies work? So I just wanted to shoot that out there so I can really... Hi, and all my listenership that I will certainly bring to the show. That's exciting. I'm just Sammy. This is the name that I have. <laughs> and that's it. You could, be, you could be so much more. I could, but I enjoy my name. I think it's a lot at the moment. Yes, it is a good name. Okay, I feel like we're coming in very hot, but that's okay. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. It's just more for you in the editing room. It is. Uh, but I'm not being kind energy. to myself, that's fine. <laughs> we can leave this bit in because it's going to talk about filmmaking. Ooh. Think about how nice it is when you get in the editing room and you've got so much extra footage and it's good footage and then you can make a whole new narrative arc you never thought you had coming to you. Imagine if I completely change the narrative arc of this podcast. <laughs> Just, it's just, it gives you freedom, and that's what we're all about in the the 1970s. I brought it back around. (laughs) That's true, though. That's very true. Like, it was nice to edit last time and have too much good stuff to keep in, really, because we were on it. We were very on it with... The 1970s. Oh, with Brewster McCloud? Yes. With Brewster McCloud. That's what I said the first time. You did. I'm not going to, like, recap uh, Brewster, because if you want to know about it, just go listen to episode one. Yes, listen to it. I will say that things that came up in that episode that I completely forgot about, there are many. And I I am very tempted to, like, you know, go and put some amendments in it of things that I'd forgotten that I have remembered now, but I'm not going to. I'm going to own it. We're going to own it. We can always revisit it as like a 2.0, yeah. but we can't take away from the movie at hand. No, because the whole point of this podcast is that we're learning about the 70s through the films that we're watching, which are all from the 1970s, and they're all brand new films to us at the moment. We might do some rewatch episodes, but they would be like special episodes where we can just have fun. <laughs> where we can really flex our yeah. our knowledge. Yeah. I feel like if the first episode, because in the first episode I was like, remember, we are smart and we have authority. And this time around, I'm going to be like, remember, sometimes we're stupid (laughs) and we just like to watch movies. Yeah. Both things are true and we are humans. Both things are true. As well, with that in mind. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this time I actually kept notes, whereas in the first episode I didn't keep notes. I did not. And... You didn't keep notes. I, but then I, I had, and then I... You have a better memory than me. (laughs) I do have a better memory than you. I did have, I will admit, like an hour before this, a sudden gut fear 
that I would, f- for some reason, forget everything that happened in the movie. <laughs> well, it's a good thing one of us kept notes then. <laughs> and I didn't. I really didn't. And it's all... And it, it actually all came rushing back to me very fast, even though it never left. Um, mm. But then I thought... I do think it was very memorable. You do? Or are you asking me, do I? I do, but I'm also asking you. I do think it was, because I could not stop thinking about it after we saw it. Yes. I almost got distracted by my own thoughts. But the point is... No, go ahead. No, 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 no. We're not there yet. The point is, I Mm. thought it would be kind of fun that you had notes, and you could be teaching me things. (laughs) Like the fact that I'm a blank slate for you. Well, I kind of like that idea. I'm always into the idea of teaching, as you know, because as the listeners might not know if they've just decided to skip over episode one, you called me last time a little film teacher, and that's true. I am keeping that in my heart <laughs> my because exact I love it. It's so sweet. My, that's what you are. <laughs> yes. Like, most of my students are taller than me, so yes, I am a little film teacher. <laughs> I am also taller than you. You are. And you're a film student. I am a film student. I've worked on student films. And? Which is not... And more professional things. Big cool stuff. And cool stuff. If you want to know what, email me for my resume. And we'll talk. (laughs) Yes. Get Freddie a job and also me a job challenge 2020-2021. Alright, should we introduce the movie? Yes, because that was a very long intro for the pod. (laughs) Uh, The film that we watched this time was from Freddy's kind of like um, options list that we like you presented with me with, and this time it was Husbands from 1970, directed by John Cassavetes who is a particular favourite of mine from the era and just in general in terms of directing. (laughs) So when you're talking about how, like, um, you (laughs) essentially want me to teach you things, I feel like I can bring a lot of knowledge into this one, particularly. Like, above my desk right now on my notice board is a postcard image that I got from the BFI in London that I really love. And I look at it, like, for... (laughs) guidance essentially like almost I'm knocking it down as I pick it up more describe it not religious guidance but just personal guidance it's a picture by Larry Shaw and it was taken in Pinewood in 1967 I think it was around the time that the Dirty Dozen was being filmed because Cassavetes has got like that undercut haircut that he's got in that movie Hot, even even dinner. though there that one costume designer was like, it made him look ugly, which is wrong. How dare they? <laughs> like, imagine having eyes and being like he oh, was ugh. ahead of his time. Uh, so yeah, he's got this haircut and he's wearing like quite a nice suit and he's at dinner. It's taken from across the table with a load of glasses on it. He's at dinner with various people at Pinewood. And he's having a conversation with John Houston. And John Houston's wearing, like, he's got his grey hair, he's quite old at the time, and he's wearing, like, a little bandana scarf. It's a black and white photo. And Cassavetti's face is just, like, he's he's (laughs) clearly interested, but he looks very, like, he's finding it dubious (laughs) 
what John Houston is saying to him. So, I don't know. I look up to Cassavetes as a very big inspiration. But also, literally, I guess, literally speaking, you look up to him on your note board. Yeah, quite literally. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't like the idea of having, like, gods of filmmaking because, you know. I don't either. He's white, (laughs) he's male, and all that. And plus, they're just humans. But, like,. It's almost a kind of worship. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I, and this, I don't know if this is off topic, but it could be interesting to throw in as, I don't know, an ad break. <laughs> I don't know. I hope we get ad breaks because then we'll make some money. <laughs> uh, I hope we do too. But at least, at least for me, like, and I started doing it recently and it started out kind of being silly where I'll call, like, directors by, like, their, like, m- guy directors, I guess I'll make the distinction, by their first name, like, exclusively, as if yeah, I, I know, all time. <laughs> as if I know them personally, and I yeah. know sometimes people are like, oh, that's just a joke, and it is, it is funny to me, because I also just, it's more fun to pretend you know people, but yeah. I think it's also because I hate yeah, I hate having, like, every time people are like, who's the director you want to be like? I'm like, I don't fucking know. Because, yeah, because why? The, there is nobody. There is nobody who is has the same experience. I also just think it's such a bad way. It, I think it all ties back to our hatred, our shared hatred of auteur theory. Where I'm like, I think that's a stupid mm-hmm. notion. To be like, I will model mm-hmm. my career in filmmaking after somebody, and that person isn't even solely responsible for everything they're doing. Exactly, yeah. And also, their experience will be very different than mine, I'm sure, in the film industry for, ma- for many reasons. Yeah. But, at the same time, I love having people who, like... Just, I guess, like, strictly, like, in a creative way, have, like, extreme reverence for. And not, like, in, like, a, I want to be like them, or, like, a heroic kind of way, but in, like, oh, I just love, I will take as much inspiration as possible in sort of, like, I would want to have worked with you kind of way, you know? Yes. Yeah. Like, collaborative versus, versus, like, apprenticeship. Yeah, but, like, there's an obvious element of appreciation as well. I say that because, as I was going to say, my tie, my tie on is that, uh, at least for me, I know a woman under the influence is highly influential in all things that uh-huh. I think I have wanted to make yeah. after watching it. Yeah. How do you, right, one of my questions that I've got written down, because you know me, I like to make notes. <laughs> uh, is how many cast films have you seen? That's a good question. I didn't ask you this at the Let time. Let me look. When we watched it together. Let me look. Are you things he's directed or things he's in? Directed. I think for I think I've maybe seen more things he's been in than directed. Interesting. Interesting. Let's see. I've seen four. Oh, four not including husbands. 
Okay. What ones have you seen? A Woman Under the Influence, Opening Night, Faces and Shadows. What's your favorite? Woman Under the Influence. Yes. What's your second favorite? Oh, probably Opening Night. I was like, I could have clocked that from a mile away. <laughs> I think it's I really... of the theatrical elements. Yeah. I really did like Husbands, though. Yes, and we're going to get into that very shortly. So how would you say Husbands like holds up to those that you've seen before? I I really liked it. Uh, holds up to? I don't know. I would say in it, it could maybe slide in after opening night in third spot. Ooh. Um, Very interesting. Yeah. What about for you? I'm not sure if I would place it that highly. I don't know. I'm, I'm like, I don't know, because it's one of those things where, like, on Letterboxd, I rated it four, and yeah. then I kept thinking, like, do I want to bump it up half a star? Mm. Do I not? And then I read reviews of other Letterboxd users, and then I, mm-hmm. then I also spiraled into just thinking about masculinity for, like, a whole yeah. day. And I was like, wow, and I feel like when, even if movies that are not necessarily my favorite ones to rewatch, which is usually one of my high, like, do I like this movie is like, will I rewatch it? I was like, mm. Mm, this one made me think a lot. And that is good because there's a lot of yeah. movies that I watch where I'm like, oh, I have no, no thoughts about this whatsoever. And I think that's a bad, bad movie making. Yeah. For me, that would be like the separation between a bad movie and a good movie because I try not to rewatch things where I can because there's just so many films that I must see. So I'm like, my immediate reaction to it is like, if I enjoyed it, then it's good. <laughs> if I didn't, then it's not good. And that's so simplistic, but it does help. I think it's the, it's. Yeah. I feel like it's the kind of movie that I can tell will grow on me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like I would rewatch it, but maybe not soon. <laughs> at least for m- <laughs> at least for me, and I don't know why I and it's part of the reason I love um Sweet Smell of Success, which is not a 70s movie. Um, but I I watched that in my film noir class and I remember it standing out to me. Because I was like, wow, these characters are so shitty and unabashedly (laughs) slimy. I love it. Mm -hmm. And now I've seen that movie like four times since September or something. It's just such a good movie. (laughs) And I think there's a part of my heart. It's really masterfully made. It really is. Oh, it's so good. I can't get into that. But (laughs) I think there's a part of me. That really loves movies about, like, genuinely kind of shitty men. And I don't know why. Yeah, and you have something very similar on your bingo card. I do! Because we made bingo cards for each other to fill out. Whereas in our Brewster episode, we had an Altman bingo card that I made, and it was the same one for both of us. Now we have individual ones. I can tell you that I... Didn't get a bingo for yours? I don't think I did either. I couldn't cross them off because I had it, like, pasted into my notes document and that doesn't have, like, oh. a fun 
part of a bingo, which is like checking them, but I wrote a little list, so I'll, I'll have okay. to work it out. <laughs> but before we move on to the bingo, like, uh, going back to the list of films that I've seen of Cassavetes and how it would hold up, uh, particularly I want to say like a shout out to Letterboxd, because we talk <laughs> about Letterboxd so much, just in general. <laughs> Sponsor But also get, in... Get me yes, a free crow account! <laughs> uh like looking at it now it's just so handy uh i've seen 11 of 12 films that he's directed and i've only got one left and that's too late blues which is from 1961 so we can't cover it but it sounds great so i'll probably watch it in my own time but uh i've seen everything except that so i think like comparing husbands it's kind of I wouldn't say difficult, but it's interesting how there's, like, such a a division between his earlier films and his later films. And I would say that division does come with Husbands. But then you get to, like, Love Streams and it's kind of like a return to what he was doing originally. And there's so much, like, thematically that jumps from one of his films to another, particularly, like, theatrical elements, but we'll talk more about that. Um, And... Yeah, I don't want to go into detail just yet because we're going to go through the bingo. So it'll come up through the bingo, I think. So, yes. Going back to your bingo, I'm looking at it now. And, yeah, the thing that kind of connects with what you were saying before is main character is a bastard. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And I could have checked that off three times (laughs) because there were three... You could have. You could have accounted for something. people. (laughs) Although they're different levels of awful. Like, (laughs) some of them are slightly less awful, but they're all kind of the same awful. Yeah. There are very similar kinds of awful. I think they would have different excuses for being awful, and that would determine whether or not you like one more than the other. Yeah. And there's also, I think, probably some projection there on my part. With, like, Peter Falk, whom I love because of Columbo, and Cassavetes himself, who is just so unbelievably charismatic. (laughs) Your accent made it sound like you said Peter Falk. I know, right? (laughs) I can't escape that, Freddie. You're just going to have to deal with it. (laughs) Because he's going to come up so much throughout this episode. So roast me now. Oh, well, I... (laughs) I just wanted to make sure you knew. I do know. Because I didn't know. Shall I just, like, go really hard Continue. on the owl? Or what? Continue. Yeah, let's go really hard. Peter Falk. Oh, no, that's worse. It is way worse. Okay, as well, uh, main character is a himbo. I checked off. Well. I think there are three himbos. Would you think so? Because I feel like, uh... They're definitely stupid, but I would say definitely that like essential part of of himbo himbo culture today would be like being nice, you know. Yeah, that they're is true. Like, like the definition of himbo like, is a nice. They're not person. like stupid hot nice. They're just like stupid and hot. Stupid and hot. And that's like, not enough. Heavy on the stupid. <laughs> so I think you have to take out himbo. Oh, okay. Yeah, that gives me less. Right, so 
why particularly are these men so awful? Going back to my notes, I've got two pages of notes and I'm kind of trying to go through them already in order. Mm. Like, my third note is short kings represent. (laughs) And they're already clearly very drunk, even at the funeral. (laughs) And the funeral was the second scene, essentially, after the slideshow, which was, like, part of the credits, and the credits were really good because it really packed in a lot of information into each card. And it reminded me a bit of Goodfellas. (laughs) Yes. So I think uh, Scorsese probably took some inspiration from that, because I know he's a Cassavetes fan. I'm trying to look for things in my notes that relate particularly to, like, how awful they are. Their demeanor, their constant demeanor. Yeah, they're very loud, they're very handsy, they're constantly drunk, they're, like, just... They're having fun themselves. Like, when I when we picked it last time, I called it Rowdy Boys Having Fun, and it was Rowdy Boys Having Fun. But they were having their own fun <laughs> at the expense of everybody else. <laughs> and I think, yeah, it's, sometimes it's, like, not as... I don't know. Like, at least for me, I feel like there was, like, a turning point partway through the movie where it was, like, I didn't care. Like, during the scene where they're... <laughs> with the singing... Like, they're being horrible as little lady, but, like, I didn't... It was going to sound terrible now, because they just said she was a little old lady. But, like, I didn't care. Because <laughs> it was you funny. You didn't care about them. It was um, really funny. Like, I was, was laughing really, I was... so much throughout. Just Thanks maybe in shock. Um, no, I was genuinely... Like, I guess, yeah, part of it was shock. But at least, like, I feel like there is a turning point, because during, like, that scene, like, I didn't really feel... Like, it was funny. Like, they were being terrible, and they were having fun at the expense of other people, but it was funny to me, also. And then I feel like, halfway through the movie, or no, I don't know if it's halfway, because I don't, I don't have a sense of time. Um, so <laughs> Who does right now? Part, part way through the movie, I feel like you stop being in on the joke a little bit. Like, mm. more when they're being weird to, like, individual women, I was like, hmm... That's not as fun to to me <laughs> um, to watch, and that's not as, uh, you know, funny. And I I feel like it was definitely deliberate, because it was like, yeah, like, the first half, I was like, I'm having a good time, and they're being horrible. And the second half, I was like, I have to stop saying half. And the second part, I was like, well, now I'm just tense the entire time. Yeah, but I felt tense very, very early. And I don't know why. Maybe because it reminded me of, like, situations I've been in in real life. I think it was relatable in that sense, especially because it was, like, set during a funeral and then at a wake and then past that and how people deal with grief. (laughs) I guess it's, like, in the... Maybe I didn't feel as tense in the beginning because Mm. it's almost, like, because they're so not... It's like it's like literally the wake. Like you're so not removed from like the the death immediately. It's easier to ex- like to have excuses first. Yeah. And then as it goes on, you're like, well, now you're just finding a way to make this an excuse for things that had nothing to do with this before. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's interesting that they didn't really bring it up in dialogue that much. 
like to the people that they were with they never made any excuses to anybody they were just like we're doing this now <laughs> oh that makes it well no i think it's about like personal excuses like yeah because they talked amongst themselves about it this little group the husbands <laughs> i think it's like a personal excuses because you know at least for me because i'm an overthinker i need to rationalize everything i do i really love the scene in the bathroom where they were doing just that yeah it's just <laughs> about like it's not that they're making excuses to other people it's just like they're rationalizing their own behavior yeah. and then towards the end their rationale gets irrational why do you think during the wake scene that they felt the need to torment everybody at the table? Uh, I, I haven't know. got an answer for this. I'm just I interested. I haven't got an answer for that either. On April 29th, this Twitter account that I don't follow, but maybe I should, at Katie Delaney, tweeted, Becoming increasingly convinced that the point of life is to talk shit with your friends in restaurants. And I immediately DM'd this. To one of my friends because I find that I, I do turn sometimes we turn into very terrible people who talk shit in restaurants <laughs> when you're together and it's very funny and it's a very easy way to I guess be mean and completely forget about your own problems and feel better yeah. than other people for a little bit and I know people will be, will be like all high and mighty about it but I think it's a very normal human thing to do. Yeah, I think there's probably an element of that. And it's just to yeah. the extreme. Like, each person, they they were not happy with. They were all singing. And they were singing, like, folk songs. And it reminded me of a lot of times that I've been in folk clubs <laughs> and listened to people singing. And they all take their little turn. <laughs> and then it's like, you just give them a little clap. And it's like that person was terrible and their choice was awful and nobody enjoyed it <laughs> but we all had to clap anyway and they were just like completely throwing it out the window and you know as you're saying it's kind of like reveling in their own grief but in a way that is in their eyes and mind healthy to them because they're like letting off steam yeah yeah and so much of it was like they're letting off steam all the time and they're doing <laughs> things just to you know, get over their friend's death. And you never see anything of their friend, do you? Like, they mention him by name a couple of times, but I couldn't tell you what his name was. I couldn't and tell you never what his see name a photo was either. In fact, do you see a photo of him? Is he in the photos at the start? He's I in the photos at the start, because there's, there's four of them. Yeah, but who is he played by? Um, nobody I clocked immediately. Mm. I found it very interesting as well, like, at the start, with the tiny, tiny shots of the women... And throughout, I wondered, like, what the wives were doing. And the only time we really uh, heard what they were doing was when Ben Gazzara went to visit his wife and her mother. Oh, my God. At their home. And he beat her That up. was horrible. <laughs> and that, that was... was horrifying. Yeah, that's when I was like, oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's where we lose them <laughs> properly. That's where we lose them. I think that's when I, I truly lost. As, well, maybe just Ben. Mostly just Ben, yeah. I feel like... And there was a bit where John rang Gina. And it was definitely Gina for real, because he called her Genie. Yeah. And he calls um... himself her Golden Greek. <laughs> <laughs> and it just seemed like a really nice and authentic phone call that he was making for real for the purposes of his film. But not really as much as that about what she's doing. 
on the call. We saw her, like, for three seconds or something. Yeah, you checked her off for the cameo on your box. Yes. I checked off beloved actor, obviously. Beloved or beloved? I think when I wrote it down, How do you say it? Beloved. (laughs) Beloved. But it's the same thing. But do you say beloved or beloved? Beloved. Beloved. Beloved actor, which... That feels like a given. Of course. On, okay, so I'll do row by row. So then the other thing I checked off was weird, fun couple. And, <laughs> do you know, can you guess why I checked this off? Um, I want to hear you say it. <laughs> you want to hear me say it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I was kind of counting um, almost all of them as a couple, although I guess it's Three people's not a couple. By thruple. Weird fun thruple. Thruple. <laughs> um, although I feel like there's more going on between Peter and John. As yeah. evidenced by the fact that in the bathroom scene, Ben kind of spins out that they're going to leave him. Um, yeah. yeah. Just like they let him that he's going to die, just like their friend. Um, and they're literally in the same bathroom stall together. So, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, some light, heavy homoeroticism, but weird. Oh, fun I checked that off for you, like right away. Yes. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's very serious question mark homoerotic theme oh. that I that we need to talk about, but the weird Absolutely fun couple throughout, like particularly was... with Ben. Yeah, no, particularly with Ben, because. Um, but yeah, weird fun couple was the thruple because they're, they're very weird and they're having a lot of fun. Yeah. And I got similarly for you, actors I think are hot. (laughs) Yes. Correct. There's no way like you can like step around it. Do you think it actually helped Cassavetti's career that it was hot? I think it did, because he acted first. <laughs> you, of course it did, because he acted first. Have you seen that the pictures of him in Rawhide? I think it was Rawhide. Just any picture of him at any point. Yeah, okay, yeah. I think that helps a little bit. Uh, what is your favorite Cassavetti's role? I asked you this, actually. Remember? You did, on a Twitter on thread. On a Twitter thread, and I... Was surprised that... Did you put Rosemary's Baby as number two? I think it was either two or three. It was in there. It was up there. And I guess in my in my ranking... I wouldn't be my favorite. But it'd be high up there. But it, it's like, he's good, but it's so hard to watch. It is. But like, as much as I'm a cast about his fam, there's so much I've not seen. And there are many things that I've forgotten about. Like... I don't think I put the Dirty Dozen on there, but I love him in the Dirty Dozen. There should be a podcast about the Dirty Dozen. Do you should? I think you should get honorable mention for the Fury. His looks in the Fury. His single glove. His, his single like arm swing he had the entire time. <laughs> it, this isn't deep, but it's true. I he's like the intensity that he has as a person is just right there. And I particularly liked how in Husbands he mentioned that he was a Sagittarius. <laughs> there was uh, there was because a couple it's true astrology. In real life. There was a couple astrology things. 
Yeah. Somebody asked somebody what their sign is. Is it Peter? Is Peter yeah. asked somebody what their sign is? I, I think, think. Yeah, and it. Did he mention he was like a Pisces? I don't remember him saying anything, but I remember him asking. No. I think when they were in London. Yeah, right. That was something that really surprised me about the film. We've not talked about what expectations we had for the film, have we? And, like, I could not have expected that they went to London. (laughs) Yeah, I would not have I did not expect that either. Honestly, I thought there was going to be more... Given that it was called Husbands, I thought it was going to be more about them in relation to their their wives. Yeah, all the time I was thinking, like, what are the wives doing? But at the same time, I thought it was kind of interesting that it wasn't what I expected, and it was, like, very distinctly about what their life is apart from them. Yeah, and, you know, to properly critique masculinity, it was like, I just need to focus on that. (laughs) Yeah. And not, you know... But at the same time, we were introduced to these amazing characters in London, the women. I don't want to call them prostitutes, because, like, was it defined that way? I don't think so. I don't think... I like, My like, assumption not was... Not that there's anything wrong with prostitutes. Um, no, we are very pro-sex work here, but... Of course. I didn't I didn't get that sense. It, like, it, it was, like, the sense that they were looking for that, like, because when... They're going around, and they're like, well, it was, like, two, like, Ben and, um, John were just, like, flirting with women, and then Peter was like, where are the ladies? Like, yeah. where are the ladies at? Like, can you take us to ladies? <laughs> and then I was like, oh, he's, yeah, he's looking for, like, sex workers, but I didn't get the idea. Yeah, that all of them were like it because nothing went according to plan in terms of him talking to people trying to find no, the them. The flirtation was very weak. <laughs> uh, that scene with you called it, I've written it down, the progressive sugar mummy. <laughs> I did. That's, I think I gave, I, I know I checked off ladies get good lines, which for the, which is on Sammy's bingo. Sammy's, 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 Sammy's 70s cinema bingo. Um, and at first, I was not going to check that off because there was not a lot of women, women dialogue <laughs> for a while. Um, and then even, I think, and I don't even think it was when Progressive Sugar Mommy started talking, even though I did love her brief appearance. I think it was because I loved, um, his name I forget, the one that John takes home, the woman John takes home, her conversation. Big Mary. Mary. Her. Big Mary. After their weird night, um, her, like, whatever she was saying, I was like, I'm very into the vibe she's giving off. Uh, Right, yeah, well. That came up during the watch, didn't it? Like, it reminded me of something in particular, and I was like, I'm going to save this for the pod. Yes, and you wouldn't I want to see me. if you had the same thoughts. Um, what did it remind you? But that's, that, I know that's why I checked off Ladies Get Good Lines, but I would include, uh, to tie it back, I would include 
progressive sugar mommy's existence in <laughs> ladies mm. can't go lines for Sammy. She she was utterly entrancing, <laughs> and I like that she had that scene with Peter because he looked very young in comparison to her, and I always find that strange. <laughs> Because Peter, for me, has, like, a timelessness and an agelessness. <laughs> and it, but he just seems very, like, middle-aged all the time. He, no, but he had sort of baby face in this, in this one. He does seem very middle-aged all the time, except in some... In, he did seem very... Very young in this, but Yeah, though. they reminded Big Mary and her relationship with John's character of Gus, Lil Gussie. Lil uh, Gussie. Reminded me of Roman and Tabitha from Succession. <laughs> Oh! Like, so much! Yes! Actually. She's tall. She's constantly, like, roasting him. He's loving it. It was them. And I was like, wow. I hope that the succession people have seen Um, this. (laughs) Wow. That actually... That makes their relationship make a lot more sense to me. Yeah, that's how I understood it. Like, he absolutely terrorised her, but then she sort of, like, tore the shit out of him in the next day, and she was just like, I'm not having any of this, and she walked well, yeah, out. Well, yeah, because initially I was, like, so uncomfortable, because I was like, I can't tell if this is a thing mm. or not a thing. Yeah, I don't want to see John, like, No, because he's, like, he's, like, choking her, which is obviously a thing, like, a thing that people do a lot now. Um, so... Yeah. And he's constantly, like... <laughs> It was so funny at the same time because he's doing all these weird accents and he's like he's doing so terrible friends. But it was, <laughs> but it was weird because I was the one that like that stressed me out, and I think it's just because I was like the idea of being like pinned on a bed and like trying to get up was like horrible. Yeah, but yeah, because we we don't view this with like the same view that they have, but at the same time. Most of the camera work was very objective, as it is in Cassavetti's films, isn't it? It's very yeah. far back, and we're just observing. So, but then there was also, like, is this, like, kinky shit? Like, because it yeah. very well could be. And I was like, I just need somebody to be tell me. Yeah. Um, And then I think what made me assume it was is the fact that she's very chill mm. the night after. And, um kind of bullying him. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay. They had a safe word. Um, they had a, yeah. Um, be, but that's like a thing in my favorite movie of all time, Butch Cassidy, um, which is 69, so we can't watch no, it. No, go off, go off, go off. I've decided. I made a note last time while I was editing. You did? That we <gasps> should talk about other films from other eras because they have influenced the era. <laughs> I didn't mean not to talk about it. I'm just saying it's not going to be a central episode. No. Movie. But we but, can discuss. Indeed. But it is, it is very close to the 70s. But I remember watching that for the first time. Yeah, I don't know. It was in high school, maybe? And uh, if you have not seen it, they're in, like, the introduction of Edda's scene. Like, Sundance, like, breaks into her house and is, like, undressed and is, like, holding a gun at her. And that, and it's like, oh, what is this? And then it turns out they're just into like role playing, um, <laughs> which becomes very clear very like very quickly into it. But I've also watched it with people because I show it to everybody because I it's my favorite movie of all time, um, and I've watched it with people who are like very disconcerted of what I'm like making them watch the minute that scene starts. 
and I feel like it has a similar kind of vibe. I don't know if it's like a 70s thing where you're genuinely like, I can't tell yet (laughs) because it's not as much of a question as it is now. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, like in the scene in Husbands, her fear felt really real and like the pain and her like, you know, how suppressed her voice is and uh, he's just kind of like munging all over her. Do you have the word munging? <laughs> well, I, <laughs> but but do you know what I mean? Like I feel like it's, it's crawling all over her and doing these ludicrous things, and he's very drunk, so it's like you know you can't really trust what he's doing, because they're constantly drunk throughout the film. In every scene, you just assume they're drunk, including the scene where he goes to work. <laughs> oh oh yeah, um. But I guess I guess my point was that like, I don't know. All that stuff is so is so. From from earlier movies, although I think if you go far back enough, it's pretty clear. But I guess in, like, 70s, 80s, well, not even 80s, maybe it's just, like, 60s, 70s, some, like, just kinky shit, like, it doesn't, obviously the way that's seen in movies now is different, so there's just, like, a disconnect between, you know what I mean? I think you that need to sense. like move I'm... through it a little bit more because I'm interested what you mean by like specifically the, that era and what that means within that era. I don't know. I because I feel like eighties, as we talked about, has the backside. So I feel like ev- in the eighties you can assume everything is intentionally misogynistic. Yes. Yeah. And this uh, is a criticism and, of misogyny. And then I feel like in the in like thirties, forties. You can also be, well, there's not, sex is implied, and you can also assume misogyny mm-hmm. <laughs> for most things. And then I feel like, I guess, 60s, 70s, you have, like, new sexual revolution, whatever. Yeah. And you do start to have, like we talked about last time, like, more interesting female characters, like, I don't know, sleeping with people. Like, that's normal yeah. before it becomes not normal again to see. But it's still, like, obviously... Just the way things, like, are filmed or talked about in film, like, the language of that changes. Yeah. So I guess, like, the language of, like, sex in movies is different than the language that we're, like... Yeah. That we've grown up with. So there's always just a little bit of a disconnect of being, like, trying to figure out, like, I... <laughs> what yeah. the intention or purpose was. Um, and I feel like that gets more vague in mm-hmm. 60s, 70s, just because there's more, like... Yeah. Experimental, and then yeah, and then eighties. I'm like, oh yeah. no, and then I get this yeah, and misogyny. And it's back to like blockbusters. Do you know what I mean? Does this make sense now? It does. Yeah, like it's a very interesting critique of what we're being shown, and particularly I think it relates to like how you know how we look at like the male gaze, how that came about, and it was also as well as being, uh, you know, a critique of just. The idea of chauvinism and misogyny in image making and media but it was also like how chauvinism and misogyny in society is from class as well and how feminist practice you know it needs to be a practice of the working class and I like reading a lot of reviews of this film including in a book by Peter Falk <laughs> his <laughs> biography just one more thing which I've got in front of me uh, he calls them middle class. And I'm like, 
are they middle class? Are they upper middle class? They seemed upper middle class to me. But on Letterboxd, somebody has called them working class, and I'm like, far from it. <laughs> oh, they're not working class. No, absolutely not. They're in. They're living in the suburbs. They're living in the suburb. John is a dentist. Ben is a graphic designer. I can't remember what Peter said he did. <laughs> I don't know if he ever did, actually. So these are very comfortable, like, in society. But at the same time, because this is 1970, we're, like, moving from... Uh, I hate to name drop him, but Quentin Tarantino. Oh my god. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino, in a introduction he did with Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, which I watched like last week, because, you know, I'm deep in the ghoul phase. Uh, <laughs> he mentioned how this film, that film, uh, they are affluent people, you know, just getting into the ideas that you're talking about, which is, like, the sexual revolution, and, you know, like, hippies and free love. And these men are all on the East Coast, middle class, upper middle class, and, like, they're trying to access some freedom, but they they are not able to do it because they're, like, so suppressed by the, like, misogyny and chauvinism and what they feel they need to do as men to be either masculine or, you know, just, like, individuals in comparison to the idea of women. Jump off of what you're saying. About, like, they're on almost, like, the wrong side of the coast. I guess it's also, like, for the wrong reason. Like, it has very much, like, the the vibe. And I saw some people critiquing this on Twitter, like, the other day. Um, it has it has a similar vibe to, um, you know, modern straight men who are like I'm mm-hmm. into polygamy um and like polyamorousness and I don't believe mm-hmm. <laughs> like in um like not settling that you know what I mean like in like monogamous yeah. relationships being the standard but and why wasn't this movie about them having a threesome <laughs> <laughs> and that's like a big red flag but when you hear that from anybody who's not like straight man usually they have reason for it you know what I mean yes. it's like the same kind of thing where it's like are you co-opting that or is it like come from a genuine place yeah because like there were so many sort of like gay metaphors and oh Ben's character particularly was like Ben's peacocking character. his masculinity throughout I sort of circled right back to sort of closeted homoeroticism. He has. I, like, I fully believe that he was meant to be gay. Um, But he's suppressed by society and what he feels like he needs to do as a man. I fully believe... As a cis straight man. (laughs) That he was gay and, like, written to be gay because his... um, they're constantly kissing they're constantly each other. They're constantly, like, kissing each other. But then also the... Hugging each other and loving <laughs> the way each that other. He, um, and supporting each he's other. He's so worried about them leaving him. Um, when he he literally says, yes. like, that, like, sex with his wife is great, but being friends with him is better than sex with his wife. Um, which is insane yeah. to say. <laughs> and then... But then, like... Yeah, and Peter says something later on, like, 
uh, my wife's not that good. So it's like he's trying to he's trying to relate to him. Um, he starts calling I think John like a fairy and is like basically like, Oh, you're fucking gay. Like and it's like so yeah. and it's clearly it's like Yeah, like it's the internal like, directly after he's like Sex with my wife isn't as cool as hanging out with you dudes. So it's like it's <laughs> Is that your bad yeah, impression? No, this is my man impression. It's my man voice. <laughs> um he, ha- he sounds like a newsreader so, to me. So, like, I love Ben Gazzara, but I can never, like, fully immerse myself in his performance. As much as he was very, very But it's engaging. clearly, like, the the placement of it being, like, one after another. It's, like, clearly a deflection. And then I hmm. wrote... I feel like I've written multiple papers. But my the last one I wrote in my film noir class, which was not a very good paper. What? Don't put yourself down. It, it was not. I wrote very under the page limit. Um... But my point, my, like, point and analysis was strong. And most people, I feel like, who bother to listen to this will know this already. But the other thing about, which is not great now, like, if we think about it from modern representation lens, like, throw that out the window for a minute. If you think about, like, old movies um, with characters who are gay, but you can't say they're gay, um... They always hate women. They always are extremely misogynistic. And while obviously now you could be like, that's horrible representation. Um, You know, it's such a clear, I feel like that's such a clear signifier. Like my, my paper was obviously about film noir, but like the, one of the common threads from all of the characters who are pretty explicitly gay for, a, a, like, a variety of different reasons, as I think Ben's character is pretty explicitly gay for not his misogyny, but the one thing that always ties it together is that they're misogynistic. Like, there's an open dislike and distrust of women. Um, and that is, like, such a... I remember when he, like, the scene where he beat up his wife was horrible to watch. In front of her mother. In front of her... Oh, my God. It was horrible to watch but then I was also like I know exactly what this is like signifying to me in terms of um like old movie context like signs and signifiers and semiotics and all that shit yes perfect and immediately how they all like piled onto him as well he literally says something about being in the closet remember (laughs) oh I, yeah, I was I like, written down. I was watching it and I was oh buzzed god. and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> I was losing it. I don't think we've mentioned that we were both drinking right now, you know, because obviously four casts of venues. Pouring out for John. <laughs> I'm very, still very sober though, however. I'm also really sober and I feel like watching this movie when I was sober was like the experience I've had in real life of being a sober person hanging out with drunk people. I'm being like, well, at any minute they're going to do something and I'm just going to be like, well, <laughs> take my hands off that situation. I was a little and it buzzed. Kind of was. <laughs> I was a little buzzed watching it. Mm. And part of it was because I, I was, I did drink a nice Angry Orchard hard cider. But part of it was because... Shout out. Shout out. <laughs> I was a bartender. I know my drinks. Sponsored, sponsored by... <laughs> But, oh god, I wish they would sponsor me. But they have a shit ton of money, I bet. Um, but 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was also, I think, just a little sleep delirious, because who isn't? And so I was, I was like, laughing like a drunk person for the first half. <laughs> and then the second half, I was like, Ugh. Yep. Time to get serious. <laughs> Not even time to get serious, but then, yeah, I guess it's the same sort of reaction, even though you said it's like what happens when you're sober at a party. I think even sometimes when you're like drunk at a party, but then pe- and you're all having fun, and then somebody does some shit that you don't want to be associated with or responsible for, and yeah. you suddenly are like, yeah, and you're like, Ooh, I guess I'll just you're leave. like, oh, it's like the crash, it's the crash. Yeah, the reality crash. You're like, oh. God. Oh, God. But that's a a big part of what we've just been talking about. And I've looked in my notes as well. And uh, how you were talking about how, like, uh, you know, gay people who are closeted, essentially, or closeted by the narrative, you know, or suppressed by the narrative, uh, are often misogynistic. I've got a note that is, like, especially in the era as well, I've noticed, like, men who have poor relationships with women have great relationships with their children. And I think that relates to, like, the infantilization that comes with masculinity, especially, that was really clear here, because they were, like, running around like little children. Mm. There's a letterbox review that I remember you said I should save. While you're doing that, I will talk. It makes it clear here within this film that, like, marriage and heterosexuality and fatherhood is a crushing institution that they've just been trapped in. And, like, that's so interesting with the women that are in the film because they are, like, either sex workers or just women who are there kind of... They, the characters, their little husbands group, they kind of see them as sex objects. But then, like, the... The whole gender experience within the film is completely crushing. And there's always, like, uh, the women seem like achievements. Like, they manage to get them. But they also have, like, their wives back home who are, like, they're very proud of. Apart from Ben, who's, like, as much as he beats up his wife, he talks about her in great terms. <laughs> oh my, okay, I found what I was looking for. Um, it's a review... Jen, mermaid emoji on Letterboxd. Um, also, filmwithnofilter.wordpress.com and Turtleneck Film on Twitter. Cute. Um, was one of, there was like two people's reviews who I like was obsessed with. One is like a full essay um, by Eve Ratemoji, um, who is cool, but I don't have time to unpack all of that now um, you can feel free no that feels no just go read it just read it but um the one that jen said well it starts off with i uh, <laughs> i think john nicholas casavetti is hated more than anybody else which i think is just a good opening but the thing that which tied into into your train of thought before i made you talk to distract from when I was Googling this, <laughs> was um, husbands and Elaine Mays, Mikey and Nikki draw from the same well of thought that homosexuality yes. in friendships between self-loathing men makes them impossibly ill-fitting for the rest of society and uniquely suited for each other. Um, and then it ha- and they have the actual quote, which is ben's actual quote which is like i've been telling my wife for years aside from sex and she's very good at it god damn it i like you guys better i really do now who the hell's could 
who the hell else could put up with me, huh? I'm a jerk and I know it, so let's go home and get it over with. Um, I couldn't stop thinking about Mikey and Nikki throughout this film. I love that movie. But I feel like that really... It's a companion piece. companion piece, but I feel like really... Like what you mean, like, it's like people who... Men in movies that hate women have good relationships with their kids, and it's that weird thing where it's like... In movies where men are very close and affectionate with other men they hate women yeah but they love the kids but otherwise they're you know at least even now i feel like that's true in a lot of modern movies Mm -hmm. it's like you see male ensembles and they never interact with women they love each other or they interact with women and they're having just extremely separate romances and they're never affectionate with each other yeah um and the women are, like, tangential, kind of, like, uh, they exist because they exist, but there is nothing deeper. <laughs> it's just so fascinating that it can't exist. Mm. Or even, I, I would say, like, or it doesn't exist even now. Like, as because like, I think in movies even, like, now, where, like, you have, like, a maybe, like, a, three, a three-dimensional woman and there's, like, a romance going on or whatever. You got, like, the heterosexuals at the center of it. Yeah. Um, obviously, but, like, if you have, like, a male, like, um, deuteragonist, um, who's, like, friends with the main one, they're probably not gonna be as, like, affectionate towards each other in the way that actual friends are, um, if there was no female character there. Yeah. I'm trying to think of an example. Um. The example I would give with my theory about... Uh, yeah, misogynist men and their children is from the era, like from a couple of weeks ago. I watched for the first time Alex in Wonderland, mm. and I expected to love it because the overall vibe is like very, you know, taking a lot of boxes in the old bingo. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, it's set in Hollywood and it's about a young filmmaker played by Donald Sutherland and he's in like full hippie garb and he's like having visions about uh, working with Fellini and things like that and he absolutely hates his wife he has such a terrible relationship with his wife but he's got like two kids and they ha- there's like so many scenes of him having like lovely talks with his kids and you know like raising them right and that's that's <laughs> kind of like what you know brought this link up in my mind <laughs> I think that's a solid one I think even like I don't know I'm trying to think of one specific one um but I can't can you think of many I can only think of like tropes well I'm thinking of like in terms of like trope like genre tropes I would say it's like uh like Ensemble male cast movies fit into what I'm talking about. I'm just about. thinking and about Ocean's also, Eleven. <laughs> not just Ocean's Eleven because I've not actually <gasps> seen it. What? I will admit. Any I know, of them? I've only seen Ocean's Eight. <laughs> um, well, King. <laughs> That's the only one you need. To and see. then I also say, which are, are movies that I like, like, but like I think like sex comedy movies with men where the men are really. <sighs> close with each other Mm -hmm. and then you have like very very ancillary women you know what I mean but like the only way that these men can be that close with each other is because the women are ancillary yeah and they become like some kind of goal for them like something they can all work together to 
get and then when one of them does get one of them they're like they're very happy for them or they're jealous and it's like yeah and it's yeah so it's fast that review shout out to jen again jen murphy yeah really good because that really that really had like me uh spiraling for a minute (laughs) in terms of how true it is and then i guess the other just ties into you know the mess of masculinity. Why can't you? Why can't you fucking actually appreciate your friends and not be worried that you're gay? Yeah. Or like women. But I feel like at the same John time, John really makes that clear, and he really understands what he's, you know, depicting and choosing to depict. Oh, it's such a good. Oh, I think that's why I went so high up as I said, like in my thing, is because I just kept thinking about like, oh. Yeah. Men suck, but in a very deep and critical way. Yeah, like, the ending line that Peter gets was really profound <laughs> to me, which is where he says, like, what's he, meaning Ben, going to do without us? Oh. Like, they've just let him go and they're never going to talk to him again. <laughs> Probably, literally, nothing good. Yeah. It really seemed like uh, during um, a point in the movie he was going to commit suicide because we both assumed that yeah. they were going to open this door and find him dead. And I love both of us at the same time were like, oh no. And then it turned out to be com- like fine and actually somewhat like relatively lighthearted scene where he's singing. Um, <laughs> there was so much singing. <laughs> there was so much singing. But I, I thought it was interesting that we both had that assumption. Yeah. Which it means, which I don't think bodes well for, like, whatever the future of his character would be. No. Um, That's a good point. Completely burns all his bridges at home mm-hmm. by attacking his wife um, in front of his mother-in-law. Um, so... You know, he can't go home. I don't think he can really un- undo that. Not that he should be able to, but I don't think he can. Just, um... And then what else does he have? What else does he have? I don't know. He could go back to work, live in the office. But I think if... Yeah, because, like, yeah, he's still a person, essentially, of good standing. I'm putting that in, like, scare quotes. Well, like, clearly of money. They decide to fly to, to London on a whim. Um, yeah, who just goes to London? How much did it cost at the time? I fucking wish. I fucking wish. Um, yeah, just do a husband's Freddy and come over. <laughs> just do exactly what happened and husband's to come over. Um, but and then all, but I think his standing almost doesn't matter. He's clearly such a broken person. Mm. Um, and there's like, apart from the friend's death, there's nothing that like gets them there so I think it is just kind of like more of a comment on you know what is being seen at large well I think at the time if you think about it like if he's clearly gay he's like abuses his wife um which was so like I and the way that scene happens is so weird because it flips so fast because he's so nice well relatively nice to his mother-in-law at first and normal Um, and then, like, starts beating on his wife, it's, like, it almost reads as, like, he's intentionally making it so he can't come back there. Mm -hmm. Does he not want to go back there? Like, he clearly, when he's in, in, 
London, when they go to London, it's like, they're all kind of like, oh, we could just live here and have a new life, basically. And he's the only one who, like, forgets he has kids. So I think it's, like, very intentional bridge burning. So he's, like, because he doesn't want that and he doesn't want, like, I don't know, normal American heterosexual fatherhood in in suburbs of yeah. 1970s New York, which means that, like, even though he's got money, like, there is nothing else to aspire to and his friends won't talk to him so i have like yeah because it seems like that's John it and Peter were like closer individually as we've mentioned like with the bathroom scene and the scene on the train where they're kind of like they've got their own little thing with the cigarette trick but then at the end he's trying to you know get in on that a little bit when he's like saying to the women oh look at my friend's trick and you don't see the trick but he, he's trying to you know, if it's something that Peter and John have, then Ben can have it too. <laughs> what else is in your bingo that I haven't? Oh, yeah. Bad ADR. Where did you get You that told me to check that one off. Oh, yeah, there was definitely, um, definitely ADR. Although <laughs> I did clock it and I think it was, I think it was in, if I remember correctly, I think it was in London Yes. In the rain, and, like, Peter's line repeats twice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, what else do I have? I The free space is checked off. Beautiful cars is checked off, because <laughs> um, there were some good cars, but I also saw... Saw... Oh, my God. Saw. Jesus. Saw. Fucking New York is coming out. <laughs> um, I also saw an old bus that I liked, and I was projecting that onto Sammy. Yeah, you live in old um, bus. That should be on your card. I want to, like, do bus. another one because there's some bingos that I know that I love that I would love to check off on a bingo card that I got, like, right at the start and they weren't on there. Do you remember what art or literary reference was? Oh, Holden Caulfield. Oh, yeah, with the hat. <laughs> with the hat and the phony and you were, like, literary reference, so I checked it off. Yeah, and as well, like, the scene where... You know, they're in the hotel and Peter is kissing that young girl. Yeah. That that scene is used, like an image from that scene is used, I think in Love Streams, it's in their home on the wall. Like some art. What else is on? I have So it's kinda of like a recursive bingo. Recursive bingo. I have character looks amazing. Of course. I don't remember specifically when I checked that though. Um for me, that's, like, cool outfits. I don't know. I... It is cool outfits. I don't remember when that got checked off. I'm sorry. Um, you all just have to watch it and find out when you think they look good. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then lastly, I have... Oh, I already talked about Surprise Cameo. And that's my... That's it for the bingo card. There's no bingos. Um, I If you wanted to say stunts or chases for when they're walking funny slash playing basketball then I would have a bingo um okay yeah I'll let you have that one (laughs) I want to know what else you checked off on mine on your one okay uh excessive close-ups because that's just his style 
naturalistic dialogue, of course. Of course. Mm. My favourite uh, things. Characters experiencing an existential crisis. But not viewer experiences an existential crisis. Uh, no. Yeah, because my... I would say my my whole spiral came after the movie. And that box is really for during the movie if I start to lose my mind. Um, which I do appreciate. <laughs> Free space is checked off. Shot on location, which was uh, weird. <laughs> like, I wouldn't say weird as in kooky, but it was weird, like, it made me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> and plus sometimes I was like, what is going on here? What, you mean when they're in London? or Yeah, that was weird. I do really love things shot in New York as somebody as somebody from New York, which I'll never let you forget. <laughs> right? The general you. Um there's just some I mean, I don't know. I love it. I love it. I love being like, I know where this is. <laughs> I test this on my on the bus. I wish that happened more for me, but it will never will happen. <laughs> you tell me if it's unfortunate or not that like it's the most iconic location spotting was in the Dark Tower movie. <laughs> Um, but in the Dark Tower movie, um, <laughs> which was shot on location, at least, you know, part of it, they, uh, the therapist office in that movie, it was like, was right next to where my therapist office used to be. And I remember like screaming in theaters cause I was like, that is so weird. And then they went to the ER that I went to when my uh, ear gym got a hole in it. So that was like the biggest one. That was like the biggest one for me where I was like, wow, he goes to my therapist. Um, You're part of the Stephen King universe. Right so that was, it's hard to top that. But I think I also Indeed. I also like it in um, I like shot on location, I think, even more in in movies from like yeah not present day just because I think it's so cool to have footage of I think we talked about this in in Brewster too it's just so cool to have have footage like archival footage of locations and just even like the extras of I think that's so it's just so fascinating to me like how are the extras dressed how's like if there are extras or like what's um, the advertisements on the buildings was just, like, there forever, um, which I think is very, very cool. So that's my rationale. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on your bingo, I had diegetic sound. Oh, with, for, like, their singing? Did they ever listen to music? Yeah, for a lot oh, of yeah. it. <laughs> but also, like, the cuts that were, like, a car would honk, and then they would cut on the honk. <laughs> I do like a good sound bridge. I think those are very sexy. Yeah, that's the term. Um, breaking film school rules. I was, like, questioning this one. But I've got a couple of them. Oh, okay, tell me. Which are action taking place outside of the frame. Yeah. And repetition, either in dialogue or image. You had a... People told you not to do repetition? Yeah. Really? In even in dialogue. Yeah. yeah. That's but not like you know mean. themes. Just like 
like how you said before with Peter's dialogue. <laughs> well, that wasn't that was they should have just recorded it a different way. Yeah. That was only noticeable because it was the same exact tone of voice. Yeah. The second time with like no ambient noise, but that's so interesting. Man, your teachers would hate me. I use repetition a lot <laughs> in cuz I think it sounds like people talking, people repeat themselves. Yeah. Like, I have just said, yeah, like, five times. Uh, <laughs> women smoking just throughout. Yeah. Um, a woman character with agency. Was that Big Mary? Big Mary, but also the sugar mommy. I guess progressive sugar mommy. <laughs> and the other ladies as well. Like, even the lady who was like, oh, to men a toast. <laughs> to men a toast. Which was bizarre and hilarious. Was that all my boxes? Thirteen boxes. Thirteen? Thirteen. Oh, it's pretty good. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Only nine on yours. Mm. Well, I might amend it a bit with my other possible bingos. Interesting. So after the film, we watched Dick Cavett. <laughs> <laughs> because he's he said, historically, that this was his worst interview that he's ever had where he had John and Peter and Ben on at the same time to I think he's do press for husbands. Ungrateful. I think so too because it was so funny. <laughs> it was it was literally I I was laughing literally so much. I know there's like a psychological thing where which is why comedy movies and horror movies are good to see in movie theaters. Don't let movie theaters die. Please. Please. Please don't. That's where I work. Um, also, I love them. But part of the reason comedy and horror movies, and even even some drama, like, see, or like I would say thrillers, like seeing Parasite in a group of people oh, yeah. was, I think, integral to the experience. Because there's a psych- there is a psychological thing that happens where you're more likely to laugh, like, out loud or scream. Um... Than if you're watching a movie alone. Um, and because we were watching, you know, in our separate little locations on our laptop together. And we don't have the sound on because we're making a podcast about this. We have to listen to everything and we can't make jokes over the dialogue. Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes I'll watch things that are funny. And it's the, like the joke where it's like you type that like you're laughing into the chat with a straight face. Um, yeah. Because it's like on the inside I am, but you look like you're having no fucking fun. But I was re- I was like genuinely laughing, <laughs> laughing Same. out loud. Um, it was just so silly, like the amount of pratfalls that they all took. There's they just the stunts fully on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I also th- I don't know why you thought it was the worst. It is stupid. He was just overwhelmed, I think, by having these three rowdy boys. I'm sure it was overwhelmed, but it's so it's so much more I think it's so much more interesting in terms of press and if I had a talk show which I never would I would never want to have one guest on at a time because I think that's boring I think what may what people want to see from like celebrities and artists they like is like natural interaction no fucking planning your joke backstage that shit sucks and that's boring to watch um Unless you really like that person, and sometimes I will cave, but um, like Timothy Oliphant on Conan, yes. 
like exactly like that um exactly uh, among other people but exactly like that like the I think it's so and also my let me know I would be so happy if you felt this way too Sammy because <laughs> I feel Ooh. like it's a very weird thing that happens to me when I watch movies I always get very <laughs> concerned and I used to more so as a kid that making sure like the actors liked each other <laughs> well, I clearly did in this film well obviously but like and I think that's part of the reason probably why the interview is so funny because they're clearly close and have chemistry but I used to be very concerned as a kid if actors liked each other um because I would be really sad if they didn't if it turned out they hated each other on set because I thought it would be the it must have been terrible for whatever poor actor <laughs> hated each other. And I think that helped, that's held over with me for a very long time. Do you feel I, that way? The way that I feel about it is, like, now I'm worried that people are getting harmed. Oh, well. <laughs> but yeah, well, that, that too. Like each other, are you kidding more me? like they're getting harmed. I'm always concerned that they're getting harmed. Luckily as a kid, well, I don't know if luckily. Luckily as a kid... I didn't realize how shitty the movie industry was, but... I've heard people with that kind of similar thoughts, but I personally haven't got them. <laughs> like, oh, I didn't have them at the time when I was a kid. I used to, I used to have... Because I was just like, these people are getting paid, they're fine. <laughs> well, I deeply wanted to be a child actor, as you know, so maybe it was me projecting, yeah. like, I need everybody to like me when I'm on set, but I think it, I think it was also just... I had a case of extreme empathy. Yeah, well, I would say I was an extremely empathetic person. I was also very concerned, which I've gotten over now, now that I think I'm actually in... Can I say I'm in entertainment? Now that I'm actually planning on being in entertainment. Let's say that. Um, I used to be very concerned as a kid uh, that people wouldn't have that many credits after whatever I saw them in. Like they had one hit wonders that kind of thing um and now I understand that that doesn't that might not necessarily mean anything and sometimes people just want to stop acting but as a kid I was like oh my god I hope they made made like money or were happy like where did they go and now I get that that's different but that's that one I let go of um that was just a little fun side out of how into my how my brain works good brain thoughts my brain thoughts. Let's, it was such a good interview. You it should've... was, but I was like, during it, even though they were like screwing around and being silly, um, I was looking for like the little nuggets, listening out for little truth nuggets. Little truth nuggets? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, there's much talk of it being very heavily improvised, whereas like, John would say, oh no, it's not improvised. Uh... It seemed like they were giving the impression that it may be improvised due to how similar what they were doing in the interview was to what they were doing in the film. So perhaps it's more improvised than, like, John would admit. And they talked a lot about numerous different takes as well. I feel like it's probably a good bit of both. Yes. Like most of his films. Yeah, it felt like a good bit of both. At least least there was, like, a very clear, like, structure to the characters and everything, you know? Yeah, like, they probably worked out who the characters were. And I think 
Let me have a look at Peter's book again. I think there's a bit where he's like, oh yeah, my guy is this, and then your guy is this, and this is how we relate to one, each, one another. And the theme of the film is blah blah. And in the interview, they say the theme of the film is death, which is like the most obvious surface level theme. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is death. Yeah. It was interesting that they mentioned it might have taken about two years to make. Yeah, and then also get picked up, right? It wasn't Universal that picked it up. And there was also that bit where uh, it never got answered by anybody, but John was like, what do we think about women's lip? I know. <laughs> and it's like, yes, go off, Mr. Cassavetes, please. Let him speak. Let him speak. <laughs> don't silence him yeah but they didn't even like rise to what he was saying i think they just were like oh he's just joking we're not gonna talk about that well also dick cabot was i think completely overwhelmed <laughs> by that point he'd left his not... body and flown away <laughs> his his zingers were pretty good though his zingers were pretty good I guess I really haven't watched that much of dick, mr dick cabot's show maybe we'll have to watch a couple more like relevant to other films or like you know other uh, talk shows and things like that. Because we're learning about the era. We are learning about the era. I feel like I've watched old talk shows, but it's not a... Never his for... I don't know. Whatever reason. I quite like him. He's got some really interesting people on. Uh, a lot of directors. And he's been in a couple of films as well. I'm pretty sure he's in an Altman film. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah, he's in Health, which is an 80s movie, so we can't watch it, but I will at some point see it. <laughs> what else do you want to talk about, Sammy? What else do you have in your notes? I've been through a lot of them. I think we've gotten pretty deep. We've gotten pretty deep this time. My last time we were like, we didn't get deep enough. Yeah, we're going so deep this time. We went so deep. We've talked about gender. <laughs> Always about homoeroticism. Yeah. Masculinity, how masculinity is kind of shit. <laughs> oh, I want to hear, like, um, I really liked that list, you know, how, speaking about masculinity, in the bathroom, I think, mm-hmm. Peter was like, I love, oh no, it was after the basketball scene, he was like, I love basketball, I love baseball, I love football, I love blah blah, I love blah blah. So I love ping pong, <laughs> I love, like... <laughs> Yeah. I love Polly. <laughs> that was great writing to me. <laughs> I loved it. I just loved so much of it. Like, as much as I was horrified by a lot of it, I was laughing a lot. And there were so many good laughs in the film. I have to say, you know what's funny, which I didn't put together until right now when you mistakenly thought that happened in the bathroom scene? What? I think it's funny that they have, like, a bathroom scene together. Like, they're literally, in, as I said before, they're literally in the same stall together. Um... Which is such... And he's like, he's about to throw up and it sounds so horrible. It's such a literal... It's such like a... A gendered thing that women go to bathrooms in groups for obviously reasons that are not just... That are not just to talk about feelings. A lot of times it's safety. But it's interesting that that's such like a gendered notion. And definitely, I have memories of being in... Even with people I'm not very close with anymore, I have memories of being in, like, bathroom stalls with people. Um, Yeah. Watching them poop. Uh, (laughs) Which maybe I want to forget, but, like, definitely... (laughs) 
yeah, it's weird. It's like that that they're experiencing that kind of closeness mm. in a way that they're not, you know, they're not allowed to. Yeah. Really. I didn't think about that. It's like a bathroom seat. That's like you're drunk in a party bathroom. You're watching your yeah. friend throw up. And then yeah. one of them, your other friend is just in there because you're in there. So you just wait in the bathroom. Yeah. Um, I think it really speaks of like uh, John's sort of grasp of like realistic scenes and just life itself. How like mm-hmm. we've related so much of our own personal lives to this film. Yeah, to this film that is definitely not about us. Yeah, and it like I like one of my notes is like by the end of it, it really made me want to write a film closer to my own experiences of like life and gender and whatnot. Yeah, and that's nice because like it's going back to being you know inspired by him, but to do my own thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I just. Uh... I feel like it's such a mark of a good movie. I'm gonna do that. You should. Like, I've attempted it before. <laughs> well, you times, obviously should. But, you know, something but much I, more closely... I will never... ...representative of, like, experiences that I've been through and things like that. Because they are interesting. I don't know if I have. Yeah. I think I've tried... Yeah, I think I've tried to before. Yeah. But I always try to mask it. You always try to separate it a little bit. Because I, I love magical realism. I love to depart it a little bit from reality but I feel like what you said kind of which is like making me realize I think why I think this movie is so good is the way that it's like you can like there's very Mm -hmm. like the experiences that are very personal that we can relate to even though we are nothing like these characters at all um and their experience is nothing like us but there's still some like there's recognition in it, you know? Because there's definitely movies and TV that I watch. I'm trying to think of an example. Like, what's a show that I haven't watched? Because I just don't think that, like, you know, I will have any relation to it in any way that will keep me engaged. You know what I mean? Like, you just feel like you're so far away. Yeah. Um, Not that you need to be relating to characters all the time. I think it's the reason why, like, my mom, oh no, my dad can't watch Mad Men because he hates the character so much. Well, that's the same for uh, me. <laughs> I can't uh, watch Mad Men for the same reason. But it's like the characters in this suck, but like I can watch it because it's still, I don't know, there's still some recognition in things, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's the... Universal experiences. Universal experiences. But also in the, the characters wanting more of a kind of universal experience. I feel like that's how I that feel. That they weren't getting outside of their own little universe. It has, um, I feel like, you know, who's a very different person, but um, an author who I feel like writes in a, in a way that also makes me feel like recognition and experiences that are so different. And I don't necessarily want to relate to or like the characters is ten Mr. Tennessee Williams. Yes, but much like that would be a closer experience, I think. It's yeah, because because gay, you mean? Yeah, but still, but I mean, like I mean, in terms of like like I love Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, and I mean like the play. I do love the movie, but it the movie can never be the same because they fucking. What? Uh, 
it can't be, it's not the same movie if it doesn't have the homosexual subtext and there's no point. But, like, Brooke kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to identify myself with him. Do you know what I mean? But there's still recognition in him where I can watch it and be like, he sucks. And I don't need to like him, but I do because of the way he writes, you know? Just absorbing that. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. And I just feel very inspired by it. I do too. That's why it went so high up for me, just because it was like, wow. Yeah. So we've watched like two for two good films. Two for two. I, I like this better than Brewster though. Yeah. Although I did like kind of like the weird innocence of Brewster and the camera work. And shall we? Oh, I did like, I still liked Brewster a lot, but this was like. I don't know if I could compare them. "Mm." I'm I'm like, I still feel too close to them them at the moment. I couldn't compare them either. But it's also, I think, another one. I guess I could put on my box. But this would be sort of, it's kind of subjective. Or, yeah, it's it's very subjective. But, like, I know another mark of a good movie for me. Because I feel like that's been the theme as we keep being like, this is what makes a good movie for us. <laughs> yeah. And especially with the bingos. A movie where, like, after it, I'm like, Man, I'm so glad that this is what I've devoted my life to. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's some movies yeah. that definitely don't make me feel this way, but I feel like in the same way that you were like, I want to write a script now after watching this. I love a movie that's like, oh, yes. I am glad that I work in movies. Yeah. And I feel like John would be proud <laughs> of that. Because he got so much enjoyment out of it. You should. And he really dedicated himself yes, you to should. it. There should so be, much. You should. Nobody should be doing this shit if they don't want to do it. Otherwise, you're gonna make shitty. You're gonna make shitty work. Exactly. Um, stupid shitty work is yeah. my opinion. I think so much of artistic careers is you have to want to do it. Otherwise. You're never going to yeah. be talented. <laughs> yeah, and every time I think about John, I just think about how he approached, like, money. <laughs> and, like, yeah. How he just decided to use his own money to do things. And, you know, he basically bankrupted himself. And it's like, but he turned out such good work. I'd love to and have I, him I mean, we're not, bankrupt like, myself. We're not defined by our work, but that lasting impact that he's had. Like, there's an award named after him. You know, and it's for somebody trying to spend, like, under $500,000 at the Independence Spirit Awards. So, to be that creative and singular, but also to be so creative in different ways, like his acting and how he's just, he's such a huge personality. That's, that's, that's not intimidating, but just incredibly inspirational. It is. Yeah. I could, like, just gush about him. I know. For another two hours. <laughs> and I would listen. I would listen to it all. Oh, thank you, Freddie. Uh, well, it's not just you, obviously. I'm interested in what you have to say about John. It's not all about you, Sam. Well, you know. <laughs> you get enjoyment out of it as well. Uh, yeah. I'm just very sad that he's... <laughs> R.I.P. King. And it was his children at the end. It was his children. It was Nick and Zan. It was? Yeah. The little one was Zan. 
and tore one was Nick, who made the notebook. <laughs> a movie I've never sat through all of. Well, don't, because it's not good. <laughs> I, I guess I won't. I'm not surprised you. I don't know why I was surprised you saw it, but then, of course, you would have because of yes. Mr. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan. Call me out. <laughs> this is, like, a deep cut. Um, I feel like... Like I said, like, it's very upsetting to me that he's dead, so you can't talk to him anymore. Um, and I feel like discovering him kind of late in college is the same feeling I had when I read The Short Tyrus, and I was like, no, this author, Gustav Hasford, who I love and is now one of my favorites of all time, is dead, and I can never speak to them, and I am, I, and the point is, I'm very upset that so many people I creatively look up to. Yeah, I have that thought all the time. Um, <laughs> why is Gina dead? Why is she gone? What? Why is Paul Newman dead before I knew I loved him? It doesn't make excuse, any sense. Excuse me. Excuse me. Miss Gina Rollins is not dead. Oh, she's not dead, but like, is don't she... curse her. I... But you know what I mean. Like, I'm not going to speak oh. to her, Sammy. We might. <laughs> Am I? Let's invite her on the podcast right now. <laughs> Isn't she not doing great right now? Doesn't she have Alzheimer's? Don't say that to me. I, I don't know. I I'm hope pretty she, sure she has Alzheimer's, she which is why I thought she was dead. Well, she's not dead. <laughs> she's not, but I think she's Alzheimer's. Oh, no. Because I, I remember, like, looking at that, like, not a, not a good thing to go through. No. Well, if, if she is going through something bad, I hope that she, you know, she's properly cared for and all that. Oh, Jimmy Carter is dead. Is I actually don't know. I always assume, um, I always assume that all presidents are dead. All U.S. presidents are we dead. We can, but hope by default. <laughs> um, you can, but hope. But I'm often wrong. I often get proved wrong. Like when Nancy Reagan died, I thought she was already dead. <laughs> That's the Mandela effect, Freddie. It is the Mandela effect. Point okay, is, we're getting off the rails. <laughs> I got very upset. <laughs> I feel like looking up to people who are who are dead um, makes it somewhat easier to not, at least in my opinion. I feel like now that I'm saying this, if you have the wrong kind of personality, it won't make a difference. For me, at least, I think it does subconsciously make it easier not to, like, completely give my life over yes. to them. Yeah. Because they're dead. Because <laughs> they're dead. Also because... Even and he though... died because he was an alcoholic. And there's a <laughs> line in this movie that's like, you know, cigarettes won't kill you. <laughs> Drinking won't kill you. <laughs> um... Oh, it's like, lies will kill you, not cigarettes or alcohol. Lies will kill you? <laughs> and I've put, too bad he died of alcohol. <laughs> like, that's not well, even a good note. That's not a good note. That's so mean. <laughs> I love him, but, like, but, you know, I'm realistic so about mean. it. <laughs> but, like, I think my point is, like, even though, obviously, I think you can dredge up things that people did in the past and get disappointed by I think it's so much easier if you idolize people who are doing work now in like a complete sort of like 
the way that we were talking about that we don't like doing. It's so much easier to get extremely crestfallen by their work, I think. Yeah, so he's like, he's got this... Or points of view. And it's easier to kind of take inspiration from people whose work is all laid out in front yeah. of you. And having, like, seen nearly all of his films as well. And the first one I saw was in late college as well. And it was a woman under the influence. Yeah, but well, the first one I saw was actually Shadows. But, um, and then I watched A Woman Under the Influence in college, but by myself. Um, I think the one I saw before this one was Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Which I didn't actually like that much. <laughs> I really wanted to see that in um, Coolidge Corner Theater. Shout out Coolidge Corner. Um, which is a very cool theater in Boston. Because um, Boston, surprisingly, has a lot of nice second second run theaters. Um, and Or, I guess, repertory movie theaters. And they were playing that. I was going to go see it and I missed it. Um... I that would have been cool on the big screen. I think it would look better on a big screen. It does make me very depressed. I would love to see. I think I wish we could watch everything we were watching the movie theater for this podcast. Yeah. We should project them. We should project them. I can project on the side of my door. <laughs> you gave it four stars. I gave it four stars. Solid ratings from us both. Uh. I liked it as well in Letterboxd, which is a thing you can do. Yeah, I didn't, but, like, I did like it in general. I <laughs> I liked it on Letterboxd, one of my liked films. I think I might amend it to 4.5. Um, I, I think I might, just because listening to myself talk, I'm like, you sound stupid for keeping this at four stars when you're talking like this. Um... <laughs> No. No, so I think I think my heart says 4.5. Um, I'm going to be really interested to see what the first film is that we, like, really differ on. Because often our opinions are very similar. Yes. I think the only... I think generally where our opinions differ is one of us might like something less than the other, but we both dislike it. That's my experience. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. think we ever differ that much in terms of, like, one of us likes it and one of us dislikes it. It's usually just, like, one of the feelings is just a little more extreme than the other. Yeah. I'm quite interested that it's you who's got the more extreme feelings on this one than me. I know, I am too! I, I don't know, maybe I'm comparing it too much in my mind. And you know, it's oh, always, it's gosh. like it's always like blatant misogyny where I'm I'm like can't like that too much. <laughs> but then I do love Fight Club. <laughs> you say that, but sometimes we watch David Lynch movies and love them. Yep, yep. That's and obviously, true. I love watching David Lynch movies. But I think like because at least this is so clearly in my mind a critique, I can rate it higher. I think movies where it's trying to satirize something or critique it, but it never explicitly says, and it's only the director or the author or an actor, like, post the making of the film who was like, this is was our intention, I'm sorry if you didn't get it, that I'm like, oh, that's not how, <laughs> that's not how that works. No. Like, yeah. if I didn't it's get it. It's gotta the... be text. <laughs> yeah. It's gotta be text. Or and, subtext or... within the film. Yeah, it's just gotta be said 
in a way that your audience can pick up on. Otherwise, it's not a critique. It's just misogyny. Yep, like the whole of Westworld season three, but I'm not going to (laughs) go. Oh, no. So bad. Anyway. All right. Let me look at our little list that we have. I've been looking at our little list, and we haven't got anything on there from 1971. Well, let me see if there's anything in our watch list from 71. Well, Clute is on mine as well. Ooh. Um, but then so is, you know what, 71 is, um, some of my best friends are. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, well, that's we 71. We should get your list out of the way first. Um. <laughs> and then maybe we can do Clute for episode four. The Female Bunch was 71. Oh, that would be really good. Libby saves Sandy from killing herself and takes her to meet some female friends who live on a ranch in the desert. Dot, 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 dot. Oh my god, it was filmed on Spawn Ranch. And we could talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and how bad it is. I think we should watch this. Because it, Russ... 1971. Ru- it's 71. Russ Tamblin and Lon Chaney Jr. are in it. <gasps> oh, that would be sick. Not great reviews. <laughs> but it does have cowboys and women. Sounds incredible. And it might be interesting to watch what looks like definitely an, like a... a exploitation film like i'm looking at the poster and russ tamblin looks like manson he he literally does okay cool we'll we'll watch that <laughs> we figured it out so we're gonna watch the female bunch next episode from 1971 get excited directed by al adamson it looks it's cowboy exploitation movie what more could you ask for like i think that's a good contrast as well to husbands women i think i'm just searching for similar you know ideas throughout these films as we're pursuing them this man i think it's kind of like this man has done a lot of like exploitation westerns all of this looks so shitty but i'm kind of obsessed um no i think it will be an interesting contrast Mm -hmm. Lots of women um, talking about sexual freedom and exploitation at the same time. You know, all that. You know the thing that I think about constantly, which maybe this will be a good... Although I don't don't think it will happen in the (laughs) movie we are watching. But something I think about constantly in the unit I had on, like, exploitation films was how the a lot like for many women um and just people in general the first time they had ever seen like childbirth was in like porno theaters wow um in like yeah. <laughs> like basically like b-roll footage of like women giving birth um which was so weird to learn <laughs> like it makes sense but it's that weird kind of backwards thing where, they, like, there was, I don't know if it was in a book or if it was my professor, but just talking about how, like, obviously there's some gross misuse of female anatomy, but also for a lot of people, it was, like, the first time they knew what their, like, anatomy looked like or how it worked, um, which was very, is very weird to think about. Um mm. 
Didn't you read like you a really think? good book recently about exploitation films? Maybe not recently. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's like interesting how things that are like, seem like they have maybe no value aside from like entertainment or shock value or literally masturbation value um, have strange educational and social and cultural like uh, What kind of capital. sick person would, would you know, enjoy that <laughs> enjoy what like childbirth films i don't know they those were never like a full like a full movie but they would play like in like um you know the the main program <laughs> it'd be part of the programming we'll get into that more i'm sure very excited <laughs> you know what i've never seen i'm pretty sure i've never seen the wild bunch. i've i've also never seen the wild bunch it came out the same year as, um, I, I, I would like to deem myself, like, a, a Butch Cassidy, like, the, the man himself, historian, even though I have no... Aficionado. I don't want to call myself a historian, but even though I have no... Well, feel free. Even though I have no, like, I have credibility, but I have no, like... You have so much credibility, brother. <laughs> I don't have any academic way to back it up, I'll say. But I think you do. The interesting thing is that um, Butch Cassidy and, and Butch and Sinise's actual gang that they ran with was called the Wild Bunch. Um, yeah. But it was changed to Hole in the Wall Gang in the movie. And they actually, because their hideout was actually called Hole in the Wall. Um, uh. And it was changed because it was released the same year as the Wild Bunch. And I thought there'd be confusion. So while a lot of that movie actually adheres to the reality of their lives in ways that I am happy to enumerate on my free time. Um, <laughs> it, the, the gang name is different. On your Butch Cassidy podcast. Butch Cassidy that. podcast. The difference, the reason the gang name is wrong is because the Wild Bunch, directed by Sam Beckenbaugh, fucking stole it first. For, I think he fucking fictional characters too, so. The nerve. <laughs> The nerve of it. What did we learn about the 70s from Husbands? Interesting how Isaiah was talking about little in some ways masculinity has changed in the movies. Um, and like the tropes of it have changed or what like is allowed is, has, hasn't really changed as much as we think it has. Um, I think we think we're a lot yeah. more progressive than we are, um, just in general about everything. I think we always think we're a lot more progressive than we are, um, and I think thinking that makes you complacent anyway, which is the enemy of all things, um, yeah. but I think it's interesting, especially because I, in... The way I learned about the 70s, and I feel like the way a lot of people learn about the 70s initially, is sort of, like, through um, hippie culture, and and a very and, and a very disingenuine mm-hmm. version of hippie culture, which is why I'm calling it that, versus, like, I don't know, anything else, because... Do you mean, like, Coachella-type hippie culture? Yeah. Like, you know, you have, like, hippie spirit day, or so on, and it completely detracts from, like you know, the the actual political movements behind a lot of that and so on. Yeah. But that's, like, at least my 
experience learning about it at first. I really and liked even... having to explain what hippies were to my students the last time I was teaching because they didn't know. They asked they me, didn't like, know. what is a hippie? <laughs> and I had to tell them. And it was so cute. <laughs> at least because, like, it's been always very... I've always known about it in some fashion. Yeah, as, an, Amer- as an American. But I think even... Like, that, that first picture of it makes sometimes the 70s seem, like, to some... I think it's the same way people glorify any decade, but where they're, like... Yeah, like, don't forget, these people are the baby boomers. Yeah, yeah, it's the... It's, it's like, the same... I think it's the same thing where it's, like, oh, you can... There's lots of different life that's happening at the same time. Mm. Um, and shitty men still exist versus, like... <laughs> free, I don't know, hippie free love men who are probably could also be shitty. Definitely. Um, which I wouldn't be surprising to me at all. But I think that's why it's interesting. Not, as I said, like, not that there's anything really new that I learned, but I feel like a lot of what I, I go to in terms of 70s movies are not about just like upper middle class men. And their lives during this period, because I didn't really care, but of course they still exist, um, and that's where a lot of I'm sure the horrible, horrible baby boomers came from, um, from like this exact kind of man. Um, so I think that's what's interesting. It's just like it's a more well-rounded picture. A little adding to the picture. Yeah, like, that would lead really well into what I was going to say, which was it seems like, as I've kind of referred to earlier, like, hippies are a West Coast invention. Well, somewhat. (laughs) And, like, yeah, this is what this movie put forward to me, is that, like, you know, within these urban areas, they're a bit more buttoned up. Well... At least, oh, like, you know... uh this particular person, this, like, white middle-class person, exists more on that coast. I wouldn't say it exists all on the East Coast, though. I think, like, cult, like, from, like, a pop... Not sp- From a not pop culture lens, I feel like, because... It's, like, they specifically live on the suburbs. Like, specifically live in just suburbs. Yes. Um, yeah. But, like, even those suburbs would differ... From how they're represented in film of the era. But, like, it's very... In in all of America, and I think a lot of states, even now, try to excuse, like, I don't know, what happens in the suburbs, but I think that can... That's usually where, like, the most conservative people live, because it's, like, went there because of white flight to begin with, and that's usually where there's still extreme segregation in terms of like every kind you can imagine um I think it's the same in New York because like my my parents were in New York in the 70s my dad was a hippie in a very traditional kind of way um but like the suburbs you could like pretend that you were a part of that but you would never be a part of that like you were not like yeah oh New York in the 70s is a weird place yeah, we've barely, um, like, talked about that. 
It's a weird plant. Well, I think that's kind of what's interesting. It felt very out... clean in comparison, even though they are kind of like filthy people and they're like, we're, we want to be filthy. We want to be, you know, smelly. We won't have a shower. <laughs> like, it's they, just like, those are kind of like the things that hippies are seen as doing. Well, it's sort of what's interesting about it is like New York during the 70s is, is was super like tourists weren't like always advised not to go there there was like like crime was extremely high and there was just parts of the city like like half finished construction projects and shit and there is a very good photo series that I'm a fan of where you literally just see like dead bodies on like the highway wow um and but like I think it's interesting that they feel that like they are I guess if you could say so clean like they feel so untouched yeah like they're able to go in and out of the city and go in and out of yeah well I can't imagine I'm saying they're working class because I think the whole thing is like if you were working class in New York your life would be very very different yeah I don't think you would have their lives. any of the thoughts that they've had or like very few of them like you're not going mm-hmm. to London or be able to fly to London <laughs> you're not going to a casino in London I think, yeah, I think that's how you know that they're upper middle class, just because, Absolutely. like, they're, it, 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 the movie almost says nothing about 1970s New York, because it doesn't really matter to the characters that yeah. it's 1970s New York the way it might matter to anybody else. Yeah. Um, they got that, uh, glossy sheen on them. Yeah. Like, they're still, like, little 1950s children. Yeah. Interesting conclusions. Just more thoughts. We've had a good discussion about it. We've picked what we're yes. going to do next, and it's going to be really good. Oh, bye, listeners! Goodbye, listeners. Come back soon. We have a tag now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.